Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton. It is Thursday, January 26th. We are just over a week away from the very first car launch. We learned just before we sat down to record that Haas is going to be kicking off the car launches on January 31st. Incredible to think that next week we're going to see, if not a car, a livery. But before we get started, Mr. Daly, my friend, co-host, neighbor, frenemy, colleague, (laughs) whatever you want to call it, how the heck are you? I'm good, man. But can you believe it? We're almost out of the first month of 2023. That's crazy. I, I'm just not, I, I don't know if I'm good with that or not. It's just like, it's going way too quickly. <laughs> but other than that, I'm good. I'm good, but probably not as good as you. We're all dying to know how was the Hamilton family trip to <laughs> Toronto last week? Like, I, I, I got to oh. know. Everybody wants to know about that. Yeah, man. So let me set the stage. And for people that don't know, especially those south of the border internationally, Toronto is Canada's biggest, most metropolitan, most diverse city. Um, It's very cool. Great services, great amenities. Winter can be a bit cold and a little bit snowy. But fortunately, when we went, it was not that cold and it was dry. But we won a trip to go to Toronto, all expenses paid by Dove slash the Toronto Raptors to see the NBA Toronto Raptors play against the Boston Celtics from a luxury box. And the trip included the flight there, the limo to the hotel, the hotel, the game tickets, food, spending monies, jerseys, all that kind of stuff. So we flew out on Friday morning, Air Canada, Air Canada, good carrier, I guess. Uh, We flew into Toronto. We had a car waiting for us, a a big SUV. It took us to the hotel. Our hotel was actually a Marriott that's built into the Rogers Center. And for those that don't know, the Rogers Center is formerly known as the Sky Dome, is the ballpark where the Toronto Blue Jays play. So like if you went to the restaurant in the hotel, there was big windows that overlooked the field, which was kind of cool. And it was about a two minute walk from the CN Tower, about a five minute walk from Ripley's Aquarium and about a 10 minute walk from Scotiabank Arena. First night there, we get in a cab, we head up to Yorkdale Shopping Center, which is probably the fanciest, most high-end shopping mall in the country. Went to, don't laugh, because I think Americans take this for granted, but we went to Canada's very first cheesecake factory, had a good <laughs> meal, came back to the hotel. Next day, we went to the aquarium, we went shopping, we went, we had Arab food for lunch, and then we went to the game. And when we went to the game, they'd actually reached out to us in advance and said, hey, can you come a little bit early? We'd love to do some uh, photography, some promotional photography of you and your family family outside the arena before the game. So we did that. Um, They actually gave us all the photos today and they're amazing. And then they took us in so we could come right down close to the floor to watch shoot around. So my son was just like uh, mesmerized, mesmerized by this. He got 
he got a free jersey. He got a signed player's jersey, which he we're gonna we're going to uh, we're, which we're gonna frame. And then they took us up to the luxury box, and it was fully catered, lots of food. Uh, my son got to wear an actual 2019 NBA championship ring, which is kind of one of those one in a lifetime experiences. So that was pretty cool. And they just treated us like gold. And honestly, man, the vibe in the city was awesome. Like I love Vancouver, but it feels very much like a, vi- a village of 2.6 million people after we got some time in the big city, dude. But it was great. And of course, this weekend, we're driving down to Portland, which is, I guess, three hours south of Seattle, five hours south of us to see another NBA game, man. But the trip was was really, really good, man. Thank you so much for, uh, thank you so much for asking. Yeah, you know, coming from the guy who like spent the weekend cleaning out his garage and you know <laughs> stuff like that. So, you know, Hamilton family living a little bit larger than than the dailies are, but you know, man, that that's great. That's fantastic. And and, and Parsa, that's going to be like a lifetime memory for him, which is fantastic. You know, always love it when you get to do something like that for the kids. I mean, it just it sticks with them forever. That's cool. So, hey, just another question: You got room for one more on the way down to Portland? You know, just hey, asking if for- you want to sit in the back with Parsa for five hours and watch YouTube on the phone, then we're, you're welcome. We're bros, to come. man. We're we're bros. We're good. Okay, um, you're gonna pick me up, or I'm like, okay, never mind. Uh, I know you're not gonna. <laughs> we'll, we'll stop before you actually come clean and say no. You're not invited. So I'll spare myself the uh, embarrassment um okay so a couple of things remember we have a promotion with the race weekend magazine if you want to get on that uh go over to the raceweekend.com enter in scuderia pod save 10 percent on a one-year subscription also you've got the racing with rich energy contest so that's going to be uh announced with uh, alanis and elizabeth on february 19th and then your moto gp 101 with maddie patterson and ed spencer coming up really really soon we're going to be doing our season launch uh, episode with a special guest. We're going to be recording that the week of, what is it, Feb 25th. So that'll be dropping a day or so after that. So more info and uh, the, the special guest will be announced closer to the time. So really, really uh, looking forward to, to doing that. Again, you mentioned that we got uh, car launches coming up. So Haas on uh, January 31st, Red Bull February 3rd, Williams the 6th, Alfa Romeo Alpha, uh, on February 7th, Alpha Tauri on the 11th, Aston Martin McLaren on February 13th, Ferrari on Valentine's Day, Mercedes on the 15th, and Alpine on the 16th. Exciting stuff. 40 days to the first race of the season, 32 days of the uh, fifth season of Drive to Survive on Netflix. So all the all of those uh, of you who have a Netflix uh, subscription will be looking forward to that. So we're going to be doing a DTS uh, Primer prediction episode with uh, Seth Whiteberg before and a reaction show with Seth Seth following the launch, which is uh, that'll be a lot of fun as well. So I guess, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have to we're going to have to binge watch this one, whether we want to or not, which we want to, which we've done every year since, yeah. yep. <laughs> since yep. we uh, started uh, you know, doing the, the show together. A um, couple other little things. 2009 Formula World Champion Jensen Button, 43 years old. That's kind of crazy. I didn't think Jensen was that old because I remember when he broke into Formula One like over 20 years ago. He's like this young kid. Now he's like a middle-aged person, which is 
kind of frightening, which makes me feel like a very old person, which I'm not really that much older than Jensen, but hey, there you go. Um, also, Paul DeResta will not be part of Sky's uh, Formula One coverage for 2023. That's uh, courtesy of Sam Cooper. Johnny Herbert's uh, former Formula One driver as well. He will not be uh, returning this year. So that's uh, very, very interesting. So, one final thing before we get into the show, this is a little bit uh, of housekeeping stuff. We've had a lot of messages from you guys just regarding some of the advertisers that we're getting on this show. So we try, okay, so the ones that are like like host read that you hear me like reading, those are usually ones that come to us for pre-approval. So the ones that we like, we feel like that would be you know a fit with the show, we'll do those ones. But then there's also some of these network ones, which we try to opt out of anything that is like more offensive than like some shuttle surface that will take grandma to church and back on Sunday. But there have been some ones that have like snuck through over the, you know, probably the last several months or so that obviously are completely off brand for us. So we're not sure how those are getting through because they're not supposed to. And we're not just doing this just so we can, you know, make money for, for no reason. And we're not making tons of money off this by any stretch of the bees, uh, you know, by any stretch, you know, it covers the bills and that that's about, uh, you know, that's about it. So we're looking into it. The good news is that uh, our content contract with this provider is coming up so you know if it means having to look into some other options to help keep the lights turned on and pay the bills around here then we're definitely going to do that because we want to keep this you know as a political as as possible and not have anything come on that touches on anything that might be a sensible sense of sorry sensitive social topic i mean it's not really about um, left-wing or right-wing politics or anything in between we just want to keep it as middle of the road as as possible and uh you know if something kind of sneaks through just in the meantime just be advised we're working on it and it's certainly not our attentions to to do anything um otherwise anything you want to add to that hammy or should we just no, dive I, into I the that, show itself? i think that's great and i think i've been equally as offended by some of the sh- the the commercials that have appeared on our show and to those yeah, of you reaching yeah. out please continue to do so because we're trying to understand how and why they're coming because like you said we have full control over the ads that run on our program and we have the ability to opt in or out of different different types of advertising and we've opted out of every type of advertising uh that these would apply mm-hmm. to uh so we're, we're we're equally frustrated and we don't want our name our brand our show affiliated with any of this and we're working hard yep. to address yep. it and to your point if if we can't resolve this we'll simply move to a new provider that can better serve our community and the show so that's, that's exactly. all I can say. But in the meantime, exactly. if, if they do continue to air, please let us know when during the show so we can continue to research and try to find them. The challenge, of course, is that these ads are regionally based. So for you and yeah. me, if you and I pick up our iPhone or our Google phone and we listen to the show, we'll get completely different ads than somebody that's listening in Georgia or Florida or even Quebec. So when I listen, for instance, I usually get commercials for our local gas company here in British Columbia, <laughs> which somebody in Washington right. State's not getting, let alone somebody yeah. in New York State. So please let us know so we can continue to refine because that's not on brand for us. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's very strange when we've tried to opt out, like all of these ones that they're still kind of sneaking in, kind of makes me wonder how these some of these ads are kind of being labeled to or mislabeled to to kind of sneak through. So anyways, message received from you guys loud and very loud and very clear. So we're on it. And like I say, we we do have some options if it uh, persists uh, to be an issue, because certainly we uh, that's you, you guys know what we're about and we're we're certainly you know not about uh, offending or upsetting people because that's you know 
that's just not what it's uh, about on this show. Okay, Mark, let's jump into it. Well, first of all, we got a nice uh, review from uh, Martha Fenzel. So I'll let you read that out because that one came to you. And I did have a couple, while you're doing that, reading that uh, review from Martha, I did have a couple of emails this week. The email's going like it's 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 lit, I think is the, uh, the, the word that the kids are using nowadays. We got three emails this week because I actually checked and I realized, unfortunately... For some reason, all the spam is going to the inbox and all the legit emails is going to the spam <laughs> folder with like 40,000 other spam messages. So apparently the advertising I, thing is not the I'm only guessing, thing that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm guessing the three emails are about the advertising. Um, no, but, uh, one was. So, that that one was from, from Adam, which I appreciate perfect, thanks, uh, the, the heads up. And there was uh, one from Gil Menendez. There was one from Grant Oliver. And then there was one from Ali Tang checking in all the way from from taiwan and uh she said that uh she's been um podcast since uh became an f1 fan in the middle of 2022 and she goes on to say love how concise the summary is interesting news in and outside of the grid the depth of your insight and also the vibe as well this has become my daily company dur- during study commuting and also fun time improving my english listening look forward to another great year and wish you all the best well thank you very much for uh, ali that's that's awesome i haven't been to taiwan i'd love to go to taiwan uh, one of these days i've been to japan but i mean i've not explored very much of asia so there's uh, you know a culturally rich part of the world, beautiful part of the world. So like I've explored Japan, China, Taiwan, Korea, you know, so many other fantastic places that are definitely uh, on the list. One of these days when the money, if the money ever comes. Great, great email. And, and I agree. I want to, I desperately want to see the PRC and I want to see Hong Kong so badly. And I'd love to see, love to see Taiwan. So thank you so much for, for that email. I'm going to, just because I have it up, um, I am going to jump over to this podcast review from Martha, um, IG at the Martha myth, but this is a lovely, lovely review that she shared with us. Uh, very, very cool. I think it's on, uh, kind of a podcast, not a podcasting, a blogging platform, a Substack. I don't know what it's called. I'm not very bright, but anyways, Martha writes the Skinner F1 podcast is a fantastic. Bro, do you even Substack? Come on, man. Not even close, man. The hosts Mark Amy <laughs> Hamilton and Mark Daly have a wealth of knowledge and passion for the sport, and they bring that to every episode. The show is well produced with excellent sound quality and smooth transitions between segments. Ooh, one of the things I love most is the level of detail the hosts go into in discussing various themes, races, drivers. They provide in-depth analysis of the strategies and decisions teams make, and they don't shy away from pointing out where teams or drivers might have gone wrong. However, they're also not afraid to praise teams and drivers when they think they've done something right. They also do a good job of providing context for the races, which help listeners better understand the sport as a whole. Another great aspect of the show is how the marks can balance the love for F1 with a healthy dose of critical thinking. This makes a really engaging listening experience. And Martha goes on, and I, I think if I continue, if I continue to read, it feels like I'm tooting our horn a little bit. But Martha, thank you so much. Uh, she'd love if everyone could check out her Instagram at the Martha Myth. She also has developed and written a really cool F1 theme gin recipe book um, that's available on Etsy. And if you're interested, if you're a gin connoisseur, you can find her on Instagram and I'm sure she'll connect you uh, with the link to check that out. But thank you very much, Martha. Very, very cool. Yeah. And just going back to the uh, the emails now. So uh, Grant Oliver, he checked in um, with some suggestions about the uh, the sim racing. 
He's uh, checking in from the uh, beautiful state of Florida. And then our friend uh, Gil Menendez. Um, so he's just talking about um, what we talked about uh, last week, uh, the, uh, you know, some of the cost to go to, to some of these uh, races. So uh, I've got to, um, you know, put uh, put it all together because I only just uh, put, put it up here. But Gil was, uh, you know, specifically addressing like the cost to go to, to some of these. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to this uh, when we have a little bit more time because, like I say, I'm, I'm not completely prepared, but I wanted to give uh, Gil a shout. I think Gil's down in Seattle or just uh, thereby. So, you know, not too far as the crow flies from us here up in rainy. Well, not rainy today, but uh, usually rainy Vancouver. You gotta love that uh, you know, Pacific Northwest vibe. Okay, Mark, uh, let's talk about some other things now. So there's a cool picture. You, you know, we were talking about the uh, the NBA, your trip out to uh, TO there last weekend to check out the Raps and the Celtics. We're still very jealous about that. But Charles... Um, uh, <laughs> Here I go. We don't have a race in a couple of uh, months, and I've, I forgot all the drives. Away. I mean, Charles Leclerc, Esteban Alca, and Pierre Gasly uh, posted uh, a selfie because uh, they were at uh, an NBA Paris game uh, this past week. Uh, all big smiles from the three um, Formula One drivers. So very cool. And and again, it just you know completely blows me away the global reach and the global appeal that the NBA has in in this day and age. This is not the same NBA that uh, that you and I grew up with, uh, Mark. So I mean, it's it. it it just it continually uh, you know never ceases to amaze me just how big this sport and this league has become uh, globally but very cool to see the three and, of them and you know me anytime yeah. my two favorite sports overlap or <laughs> intermesh in some way i get super excited but yeah very very cool the, the chicago bulls and i think the detroit pistons played a game or a couple of games in the city of paris and very cool to see the monegasque yeah. and two french drivers showing up to represent it just also speaks to how pop yeah it speaks to how popular the game is but uh yeah but but yeah it, is this a me thing? I'm going to ask this question. I remember years ago seeing a picture of Shaq and uh, and Bernie Ecclestone. Do you ever remember that picture? Is that something I imagine? Because Shaq is like, how tall is Shaq? Like Nine seven feet. foot, like something, yeah, 10 feet tall or something. <laughs> I don't know. And Bernie's this little tiny guy. And there, there's this picture of Shaq and, and Bernie. And it was it was so funny because he's this big, huge giant of a man. And and Bernie, just this little tiny person beside him. And it was so funny. It's just like, you know, it, you know, it was just such a, a, a like unusual picture. But I mean, nowadays, I mean, you get like a lot of intersection, but that was before, you know, the like, this is probably, I'm thinking 15 years ago. So right. I, I have have to dig it up but it, it was just funny i can't even remember the picture might have even been something like Shaq had picked birdie up and lifted him over his head <laughs> you know looked like like an adult picking up a child but then again i might have imagined it so you know uh, who, who am i to say it was kind of funny so the the, the formula two grid is uh, set uh, for, for next year and that's uh, one cool thing that uh, you do get to, to see uh, every once in a while i noticed that on tsn that uh, that's something that they've picked up and broadcast up here in canada from uh, time to time I mean, you get more that if you have f1 tv pro but uh, certainly very cool if uh, you want to check that out and see um you know some of the up-and-coming drivers i have to ask because i haven't followed it as closely the last couple of years but looking at the dams team you have arthur leclerc is you know I, i'm assuming that there aren't too many monegasque drivers named leclerc and so i'm assuming there there, there must be some family relationship uh, there so I, i'm sure you're a little bit more more up to speed on that uh, than, than I am, but uh, very cool to see that uh, you know some of these names. And then there's uh, Enzo Fittipaldi. Is there 
connection there with uh, the, I mean, Fittipaldi, that's a very well known name as well. How, how many, how old is Emerson now? He must be what in his seventies by now. Right. I mean, he's like one of these guys that uh, like Mario Andretti that perpetuated his career in IndyCar long after he left uh, Formula One. And when did he pop up? It wasn't so long ago. Was it at the end of last season? I seem to remember seeing it must have been at the Brazilian Grand Prix then last year that uh, that Emma was there. But uh, very cool to, to see. And let's see. OK, do, do we want to get into this uh, right away? The whole, you know, uh, Mohammed Ben Suleim talking about the, you know, wading into areas that, uh, you know, as a regulator, the FIA should probably not be. No, wading I think into. we should take Let- I think we should take a break because I think we'll probably Good spend idea. a little bit Good of time idea. on this one. Yeah, you know, we're, we're coming up. We'd like to break in about 20 minutes, and I, I don't think we're going to get through this in a minute. So let's pause here momentarily from a word from hopefully an agreeable sponsor this week. And we'll come back on. <laughs> hey, if you can't laugh at yourselves, like who can you laugh at? I, but, you know, hopefully, guys, that uh, when we come back on the upside, hopefully you'll come back and listen on the other side of the break. So <laughs> we'll talk to you in a moment. Passion drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One. So there's been plenty of news this uh, this off season. This really has been the off season that has uh, kept on giving. There's been you know no shortage of news, uh, you know ever since we had the uh, Abu Dhabi Grand Prix uh, towards the end of November. I mean, it's a little quiet over the holiday period, which is uh, to be expected. But this has been an off season that has generated. You know some pretty big headlines, uh, you know, over the the course of the past uh, two months or so. Uh, but uh, this one here with uh, Mohammed uh, Ben Sulaim, who's the, uh, the the president of the the FIA, has really kind of blown up. And this has started with a series of tweets that uh, Ben Sulaim uh, made uh, earlier this uh, week, basically questioning or urging caution about the what he called an exaggerated twenty billion dollar valuation of a uh, Formula One. So. 
Mark, you and I, we kind of went, well, I mean, this came popped up. Uh, this is it's Wednesday. So this popped up a little earlier this week. And uh, so Formula One has issued a letter. But why don't you set the stage and give a little bit more context uh, to this? Because this really is kind of blown up into a into a thing, right? Right. And it really began probably. So we sit here recording Wednesday, January 25th is going to drop on the 26th. So Thursday a story that kind of percolated late last week and into the weekend that indicated that the Saudi Arabia public investment firm had apparently engaged Liberty, and Liberty is the company, the American media company that owns the commercial rights to F1, had engaged them in conversations about a possible transaction or sale of the commercial rights to the Saudi public investment firm. And We don't really know when this happened, other than the fact that Bloomberg and a couple other sources indicate, or I would say publications indicated that this had happened. Nobody's come out and outright denied the conversations happened. But one of the things that this did set off was some, to your point, some very problematic tweets from the current FIA president, Mohammed Ben Salem, and the tweets, and they're, they're purely and entirely in response to these public, um, I would say, reports about these conversations between the Saudi PIF and Liberty. And in his, his, his tweets read this, as the custodians of motorsports, and I quote, as the custodians of motorsport, the FIA as a nonprofit organization is cautious about alleged inflated price tags of $20 billion being put on F1. Any potential buyer is advised to apply common sense, consider the greater good of the sport, and come with a clear, sustainable plan, not just a lot of money. It has our duty to consider what the future impact will be for promoters in terms of increased hosting fees and other commercial costs and any adverse impact that it could have on fans. Now, there's a couple of issues here. One is that this really comes on the back of an increasingly problematic, challenging, strange relationship between the sports governing body, the FIA, and the sports commercial rights division and promoter in FOM and Liberty. And of course, you and I have talked about this extensively, that the two seem to continue clashing. And most recently, it occurred to all of us that the FIA, and this excited a lot of fans because I think we're all clamoring for more teams, but the FIA had announced that they were going to open the sport to expressions of interest from new teams, to which Formula One immediately responded and said, well, uh, no, we have to sign off or approve any new teams. You can't unilaterally start accepting new bids to the sport. And that, of course, comes on the back of many stewarding issues last year. It comes on the back of Abu Dhabi 2021. It comes on the back of the fact that there's been FI administrative gaffes, including the fact that there's a tractor on the track at one of the events last year. There's been a lot of noise about the FIA, and this just further compounds it. And the real challenge here is we need to draw a real clear line in the sand that the FIA is the governing body. They look after regulations. They look after sporting interests. They look after safety. The FOM, the commercial rights group, which is owned by Liberty, it's entirely their lane to look after all the commercial aspects of the sport, selling TV contracts, selling sponsorships, marketing the sport, signing new race organizers, 
all that kind of stuff. And the problem here, and what is really inflamed both the teams and the FOM, is that the president of the FIA has publicly waded into territory that isn't at all his purview. And I'm going to read here from a, an Andrew Benson article because he speaks to he speaks to this entire situation really well. But all of this culminated a couple of days ago in a couple of lawyers, like on staff lawyers at Liberty at the FOM drafting a letter specifically to Mohammed bin Salam saying you are out of line and the letter was distributed to the teams and ultimately the letter was gathered up by Sky and gathered up by BBC and gathered up by the race but the 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 letter states in no uncertain terms and I'm going to quote here from this Adam or this uh this Andrew Benson piece um and I quote it is our duty to consider what the future impact will be for promoters, and to, oh, sorry, this is a uh, this is what uh, this is what Mohammed bin Salam had said. But let me just scroll, scroll down here. Sorry, guys. Duh, 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 duh. And I quote here from Andrew Benson: "The letter from Woodward Hill and Wilm was addressed to the FIA executive and its World Motorsport Council, the sports legislative body. It marks a dramatic escalation in the strained relationship between F1 and the FIA that has been evident during Ben Salam's 13-month presidency. The letter states that under the 100-year contract, F1 has, quote, the exclusive right to exploit the commercial rights in the FIA F1 World Championship. Further, it adds, quote, the FIA has given unequivocal undertakings that it will not do anything to prejudice the ownership, management, or exploitation of these rights. It says further, Ben Salam's remarks, quote, made from the FIA president's official social media account, interfere with our rights in an unacceptable manner. Woodward Hill and Wilm, the lawyers for uh, the Liberty Group, for the commercial rights group, continue, and I quote, the circumstances in which the FIA would have any role in a change of control of the F1 group are very limited. Any suggestion or implication to the contrary, or that any potential purchaser of the F1 business is required to consult with the FIA is wrong. And finally, the letter adds, commenting on the value of a listed entity, especially claiming or implying possession of inside knowledge while doing so, risks causing substantial damage to the shareholders and investors of that entity, not to mention potential exposure to serious regulatory concerns to do, to the degree that these comments damage the value of Liberty Media Corporation, the FIA may be liable as a result. And it concludes that F1 and Liberty, quote, hope and trust that it will not be necessary to address this issue again. Mark, incredibly powerful words coming from lawyers representing the Formula One commercial rights group directed squarely at the president of the FIA. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, it's such a strange situation, right? I mean, you wouldn't expect the president of FIBA, which is the world governing body for, for basketball, to start talking about you know the sum of the franchise's uh, total in the NBA, exactly, maybe like five hundred exactly. or five hundred billion or dollars or something. FIFA commenting on FIFA. the value of Manchester yeah. United. Exactly. I mean, when when I saw that, I'm just I, I thought to myself, you know, like like what is like like what is Ben Suleim like? Why is he wading into this pool? Like th this is not their purview. This is not like an area that they need to to really get involved with. And if anything, I mean, this just kind of like 
their inflammatory remarks because you know it could actually affect the value of of formula one as a commercial entity right i mean you and i were chatting about it uh, yesterday and you brought up the uh, example of how influencers can you know you know one way or another you brought up the the example of snapchat for example so so why'd you exactly and and kylie jenner's comments and and what what happened there so i thought this was very very strange because as a regulator that this really has nothing for them you know for for them to get involved with so i am really mystified as to you know what ben sulem's motivations are and his reasons for for getting involved because now they're completely on the defensive and they could find themselves, you know, obviously in some, some hot water about this. It just, I, I don't really know what to make of it other than at the very best, this was like a very, you know, poor decision to, you know, hit that tweet button and, you know, not be able to take something back after you, you tweeted it. Right. Uh, which, which many people uh, have proven over the time, over time is, you know, uh, can be an unfortunate circumstance. I, I don't know, Mark, I, I'm, I'm, watching this story i just i just it just kind of blows my mind to be quite honest i'm i'm very perplexed by the whole thing i completely agree and and as and, uh, and i'm just i'm struggling for words here because we have to remember that Same, ultimately liberty formula 1 the commercial rights group these are publicly listed companies and if Mohammed Ben Salem the president of the FIA the governing body of Formula 1 is diminishing the value of the sport through his tweets that could have huge issues both in terms of being held liable for diminishing values of the teams and the commercial rights group like he could be liable for that and the teams and the sport yeah, could go exactly. after him and the FIA for damages but the other consideration here too is that he has very close operating and financial knowledge of the sport like he could be breaching insider trading regulation here and furthermore if i'm for instance the saudi public investment firm and i've I made this bid for $20 billion, which by the way, I think is probably a very low, a very, very low bid. And it makes total sense. Like if I'm the PIF, I'm looking and I'm seeking new investments all the time. And Formula One's Mm -hmm. a hot property. It's a good place to go. And you always go in low and you build from there. But it's also a very, very disrespectful comment to make towards an organization like that by basically saying you're overpaying for this property and furthermore i don't trust that you have the ability to manage it properly like all of this is just very 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 messy and again you and i have said this so many times we should never be talking about the fia the fia should those letters should never escape our mouths like if they are doing their job and governing and regulating the sport correctly we should never be talking about this but the entire news all week was how frustrated the teams and the commercial rights group and liberty were because the value of their brand and the teams may have been significantly damaged here and for all we know liberty could be engaging in transactional conversations with multiple entities in terms of hey we, we, we never really knew what Liberty's long-term goals were here. The thought originally was that they wanted to polish this up, get it in a better place and flip it. Maybe they have long-term motives and they want to be here for 20 or 30 years, but there's, that's not to say somebody doesn't come along with an offer that they can't turn down. But for all we know, the valuation of the individual teams in the sport could be consequentially damaged by the comments of the FIA 
president. And you know, I, I was I was watching a video the other day on on Sky on Sky News, Sky Sports News, and Craig Slater was on, and he commented that a member of a team had a conversation and he wouldn't reveal the team, but that there are now open conversations in the Formula One paddock about how much longer Mohammed Ben Salam can keep this job, that this may have oh, wow. been a breach that was just too far for him to to comment on the value of the sport and interfere in it because this is effectively interference that if there were ongoing conversations between the Saudi PIF and, and Liberty over a transaction, like if those conversations were ongoing, this is straight up financial interference from somebody that has insider knowledge of the valuation. Like it's all very messy, man. Well, and that's where I kind of struggle with it, right? Because it's like he said the quiet part out loud, and and that's why I'm kind of thinking it's just like it. It just seems odd that it would just be like a series of like really you know silly tweets that you know tweeting things that he shouldn't have said, right? So that's I'm just like I just can't get my mind around the fact that it was accidental or inadvertent that. Oh yeah, well, it's just like one of these things that just kind of slipped out, you know. I'm not even really sure how to de describe it. So that's, but on the other side, when you get to the really sort of like, like, what's the reasoning? What's the logic? What's what's the motive? If this was like an intentional reveal by Ben Sulaim, like, like what what's the motivation for it? Like that that's that's why I find this whole situation really strange but you can understandably or understand why the teams and 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 liberty are justifiably upset about this i mean maybe maybe like you said like liberty took over what was it 2017 now yeah, 2018 2017 I mean, yeah Throw in the haze of one pandemic in between, and yeah. time kind of loses all its uh, you know, all meaning here. But yeah, I, I mean, they've done a very, very good job in a relatively short amount of time through a pandemic, nonetheless, and the shutdown that at that entailed to really take this you know diamond in the rough. I mean, a lot of us have been Formula One fans for years, and for some people for for, for decades, and there, there's no disputing that the fact that this sport, I didn't. Don't even would call it a, a renaissance because it never had this popularity to begin with. I mean, there's regional pop or pockets globally of where Formula One's always been popular, but in the last five half dozen years, whatever it is, it really has exploded into like the global sporting consciousness, right? So, I mean, you can't dispute that Liberty has has done a real good job to to get this property, to get this sport out in front of as as many people as as possible, and and the deal that they they put together with Netflix to come up with the drive to to, to survive is looks like a, a stroke of uh, genius. It looks like a masterstroke at this point. So, you can understand that you know maybe that. That was their their goal. Maybe they had a short to midterm goals. Turn this thing around, recoup the money that we put into this, plus a nice tidy profit, and we'll move on to the next thing. And best of luck to the next group of people, and let them do whatever they they want to do. Or perhaps, like you said, maybe they they're planning to be around for twenty or thirty years. But you know, if if the 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 price is right, if somebody unannounced comes along and knocks on the door and says, Hey, Liberty media, we want to buy formula one for you or from you for $20 billion. And they're like, Hey, you know, that's like $10 billion more than what we put into it. And what we, you know, whatever the case may be, right. I'm just sort of speculating. 
everything has its price, right, Mark? And I think that's that's the thing. Regardless if they're in this for 20, 30, whatever it is, years, and somebody comes along and makes them an offer that is too good to turn down, of course you're going to you take time to at least consider it if uh, if you don't just accept it outright. So you can understand why that uh, that they're up in arms about this. You re- really can. My wife just tapped me on the shoulder, by the way. I'm, I'm very, very apologetic. It's not the Saudi public investment firm. It's the Saudi public investment fund. So I, I apologize for that. But <laughs> but yeah, I, I very much agree. And I think we should probably back this up and give a little bit of a history lesson. But until I think 1995, the FIA owned the commercial rights to Formula One. And in 1995, they sold those commercial rights to Bernie Eccleston for 15 years. So Bernie took over the commercial side of the sport, and it was obviously a significant windfall for him. In 2010, he renewed that deal for a hundred years. So when Mm. Liberty bought the commercial rights, they were basically buying an exclusive 93-year lease on all (laughs) of the commercial rights for the sport. And that's that's what they inherited. And the deal was $4.4 billion, but it was not a cash deal because I I believe and I've, I've been told that they simply assumed an awful lot of debt. So it's not like they were handing over or forking over a lot of cash. It was a really great deal for them. But ultimately, these comments are just very, very, very problematic. And I just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to put another spin on this and try to being the devil's advocate. I'll read it again. Mohammed bin Salem tweeted, as the custodians of motorsport, the FIA is a nonprofit organization is cautious about alleged inflated price tags of 20 billion being put on F1. So this is funny because Either he knew those conversations were happening, in which case he certainly should not be sharing this openly, or he's responding to the report that was in Bloomberg, which itself is problematic and highly unprofessional. And then he goes on, any potential buyers advised to apply common sense, consider the greater good of the sport and come with a clear, sustainable plan, not just a lot of money. Well, I would assume that anybody that has multiple billions of dollars to invest in this sport is going to come with a plan and is likely going to build on the journey and pathway and blueprint that Liberty has for the sport. And then finally, he concludes, it is our duty to consider what the future impact will be for promoters in terms of increased hosting fees and other commercial costs and any adverse impact that could have on fans. It's not. It's not even remotely their 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 purview, their responsibility to do any of those things. They signed that over to they signed that over to Liberty. So I just I'm trying to understand what the end game of these comments are. Is it that he's trying to rally grassroots support to his cause, which it's been is believed he was maybe trying to do with advocating for the Andretti bid. Because of course, as you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, when they put that expression of interest kind of um, platform out there, there's a lot of negative reaction from Formula One. And he reacted to that in a tweet, basically, I'm very disappointed, blah, 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 blah. And likewise here, I'm not I'm not sure who this is directed at. Is this the fans? And in is he trying to instill fear mm. amongst the fans that, hey, if the Saudi bid is successful, your ticket prices are going to be more expensive because the hosting fees are going to be more expensive and it's going to be a more costly experience and they're not an experienced group to take over. Well, let's be honest, Liberty had no experience, no meaningful experience with motor racing and they've turned this They've turned Formula One into an absolutely spectacular, spectacular sport um, and done things that I don't think Bernie was ever equipped to do. So 
So I think I, I think I've said my piece, my friend. But it's just it's another salvo in this ongoing cold war between between the FIA and and Liberty FOM, and it's not getting any better. And I, I think that Craig Slater comment about some team officials telling him that this may have been this may have been the overreach that costs him his job. And I I'm, I'm not suggesting or inferring that can or should happen. And again, I want him to be successful. I was a huge advocate of Ben Salem when he got this job because I'm a huge, huge advocate for increased diversity in the sport and bringing in underrepresented groups. Um, I just think this is a really challenging, problematic series of tweets that had no no need to be said. Like you said, he said the inside piece out loud. Yeah. You know, and I think if uh, Mohammed Ben Suleim all of a sudden all of a sudden finds himself in a WhatsApp group featuring Michael Massey as uh, you know people who are now persona non grata in Formula One, maybe he should be a little bit worried and see if he's still getting receiving a paycheck for 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 doing his job. But you know, joking aside, I mean, at, at the very best, it seems it's it's unprofessional behavior, right? And at worst, it's something you know more. Well, who knows if it's going to be unethical, but it's you know certainly a very very strange situation that uh, that that we're going to keep our eyes on. But just before we head into hopefully another agreeable break here, I just threw it to a chat. I found that picture. It wasn't just me imagining it, but there was a picture of Bernie Ecclestone and Shaq, the one and only Shaquille O'Neal, at the two thousand and one uh, European Grand Prix at Hockenheim. And I was at that race, but unfortunately, I didn't get to kick it with Shaq that weekend. Uh, but there you go. I was I was starting to go like a little bit. I was doubting myself after I was I was thinking the same thing. Did I say the quiet bit out loud? But that picture does exist, and it's funny because if you see it, like Bernie comes up to basically Shaq's abdomen. <laughs> he sort of comes up to you know to his uh, you know the body, you know, just above like Shaq's uh, navel, right? So he's just a, this little guy looks like standing. Uh, you know, he looks uh, like like me standing beside my my. my my eight-year-old son, you know, this, you know, th- this contrast between a very tall person and a very short person. So very, very uh, funny stuff, uh, amusing stuff anyways. All right, uh, time for a quick break. We'll be back on the flip side. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, everybody, welcome back. Hammy, did you get a chance to digest that picture of uh, Shaq and Bernie, or is that uh, one of those things that uh, you kind of wish you, uh, you you could unsee? Yeah, I don't need to Google picture <laughs> you, Bernie. I, I had you, enough you of him need. when he was running the sport. <laughs> Shaq never run, ran some Formula One. What are you talking about? I'm just oh kidding. Gosh. I'm just kidding. Okay, next story up. So we're going to move away from uh, this one uh, right now. So uh, Formula One execs, this comes from uh, from Adam Stern over at uh, ESPN, I believe. And uh, Adam is saying Formula One execs claim that the uh, Formula One race in Las Vegas will have a bigger economic impact than the 2024 Super Bowl, saying, quote, Super Bowl will be for one year, but we're going to stay for a long time. We're going to mark F1 and Vegas as a place where we will de- develop the sport. 
end quote. So that is an interesting one. I think that when the announcement came out that Formula One was going to Vegas, I I think that there was, you know, obviously a lot of people were excited to think that Vegas was going to host a, a Formula One race, but there seems to be some synergy between Formula One and, and Vegas. But I find that these, um, you know, th- these comments that it's like a long-term strategy to, to, to really partner and develop the sports in, in Vegas, I find that intriguing that it's rather than just like a kind of a, what some people might expect just kind of a glitzy kind of short term kind of thing. I, I mean, who knows where it'll go in the long term, but it's interesting to hear those comments nonetheless. I think you and I have both been around Formula One enough that we've seen a lot of races come onto the calendar with a tremendous amount of fanfare only to fizzle out. Vietnam didn't even happen. And of course, there was excitement about India and it faded away, Turkey and it faded away, and Korea and it faded away. Uh, of Malaysia was a tremendous race and one of the best tracks on the calendar and it fizzled away. So I think there's always a little bit of skepticism until these races happen. But I think one of the things I'm very happy about with respect to Miami is they the race organizers continue to invest in the facility and the race surface and all these different things to build the sustainable long-term product. And it's really great to hear that from Vegas as well, because until recently, Vegas has been a very big event city. But the question was always, could they sustain a professional sporting product long-term? And the Golden Knights have shown that that's clear Clearly something that that city is capable of and Formula One should be a a huge roaring long-term success. And I read here from GP fans, Stuart Hodge writes, Las Vegas Grand Prix CEO Renee Wilm has revealed that an independent economic study has shown that the race is expected to be worth just under $1 billion in visitor spending alone. The CEO also revealed the the first wave of tickets for the inaugural event were sold almost almost exclusively to American fans ahead of the first Nevada race this November. The event scheduled as the penalty ultimate round of this year's F1 season will make its debut on the calendar, join Miami and Coda and hosting a Grand Prix stateside. An economic impact conducted by Applied Analysis was announced during a preview event at the Las Vegas Convention Center. The report accounts for $966 million in projected F1 visitor spending and $360 million in event operations and support costs. Around 100,000 spectators are expected to attend on each day from the first practice on November 16th to the race on November 18th. The famous Las Vegas Strip will make up a large part of the circuit with cars set to accelerate past the numerous glamorous hotels roadside and was expected to be a new jewel in the sports crown. And and I conclude that sentence, man, and it's only now dawning upon me, occurring to me that it's going to happen this year. That this year, know, this right? calendar yeah, year, yeah. you and I will be staying up late on a Saturday night, a Saturday night to watch a Formula One race from the city of Las Vegas. Incredible. Yeah, it's very cool because uh, sometimes we get a chance to do that because most of the European races, you know, they they come on on the West Coast at like about 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning. And I love Formula One, but I ain't getting out of bed at 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning, I'm sorry to say. Uh, But we do for some of the races in the Middle East, some of the races in Asia. You know, they, they come on sometimes very late on a Saturday. I'm, I'm a night person anyway. So if a race comes on at midnight or 1 a.m., I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay up and watch it. You know, I can stay up later rather than getting up earlier. And then, of course, all the North American races and in South America, those come on at much friendlier times. But the fact that we're going to have a night race in Vegas in November of this year in 2023 is absolutely, uh, you know, it's very, very cool and really, really looking forward to, to, to watching that. But that that is an amazing number that they reckon that the visitor spending alone is going to be close to a billion dollars. And of course, like if they have a multi-year deal, 
Of course, that's going to exceed like the economic revenue from the Super Bowl, which of course is nothing to turn your nose up at. I mean, hosting a, a Super Bowl in any city in the United States is a very rare event. I mean, some cities, some venues get it more frequently than 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 others, obviously. But that's a that's a one off thing. And I mean, maybe you're lucky in several years down the road, or maybe a decade, maybe you get a chance to to host it again at uh, you know in, in in your city. So you can see from there that over time it will vastly probably outpace or maybe not outpace but you know surpass the uh, the economic uh, gains from from the Super Bowl which will be you know massive for, for for Vegas which is probably a city that's not doing too bad financially to uh, to begin with but it's, but it's gonna be really cool to see uh, you know f1 cars racing around uh, Las Vegas and all these world-renowned you know icons and you know landmarks uh, you know up and down the the, the strip and then in the downtown so very very cool uh next one we're actually going to talk about some some actual formula one stuff and not just the business side of it so renault is expecting that the fi will get strict oh here we go the fia again man why are they all in the news <laughs> this week but at least this is this is a story regarding what the the fia should be getting involved with uh, as a regulator and that is on uh, future power unit uh, upgrades and uh, renault uh, power chief um uh, Bruno Femin has um, said is one of the four uh, power supplier or power unit engine suppliers on the grid beside Ferrari, Mercedes and Red Bull slash Honda, whatever you want to call them. So it'll be very, very busy for, for all of the engine suppliers as they work to resolve reliability uh, issues. Um, He's very complimentary about the, uh, the transparency throughout uh, the, the past year saying that all the, the suppliers were aware of each other's uh, requests. Anyways, uh, Femin goes on to say, quote, I think the process in 2022 with the FI and the other manufacturers was quite good. At least it was transparent, so everyone knew about each other's requests, and that's very good. I think uh, 2022, it was quite tolerant. I think it was quite normal because everyone was affected by reliability issues. I think we had 30, 40, 50, 70 requests from different manufacturers, so everyone was affected by this type of problem. So uh, Femin, uh, who actually is a former employee of the FIA, uh, went on to say that he expects that the governing body will be strict as the seasons go on, saying, quote, I expect the FIA will be a bit stricter in the future, but I don't have any information. Uh, what is a pure reliability issue? That's a question we can't answer because the reliability issue often hides a potential performance gain, which I think is the uh, the interesting part of this uh, quote. Uh, Fomin goes, or sorry, Fomin goes on to say, if you have a problem with the water pump like we had in 2022, it's clearly a pure reliability problem. There's no point in using a different water pump. But if you have to change the material of the piston rings to have something stronger, to have more power, where is the limit? It's not obvious, end quote. So that uh, comes uh, via Yahoo Sports. And they picked that up from Planet F1 and Sam Cooper. And the original article came from motorsport-total.com. So interesting, right? I mean, it's. I, I think the, the real key takeaway was that, uh, yeah, you, you know, if you have to change the materials for a reliability uh, problem, could that also be a potential performance gain? So if that is the loophole, you can see why the FIA would like to, you know, patch that potential hole but you know compared to what we were talking about earlier with uh with the uh, you know ben Suleim's comments overstepping and stepping outside of the box that uh, you know the fia should you know things they should get involved with the regulator this is the kind of thing you said we should if they're doing their job correctly we should never talk about them but if we do it should be 
be precisely for this kind of thing because this is what they're there for, right? Totally agree. And and the story here is as we've discussed in the past, the FIA froze the engine regulations for 2022. So basically they said, hey, look, we're going to freeze the engine regulations from 2022 until the end of 2025. We're going to introduce that new power unit in 2026, that new fancy MGU-K heavily electrified synthetic fuel power unit that we're going to be able to market worldwide as this hyper-efficient hybrid power unit. But in the meantime, we're going to freeze the power unit. And and this was good news for a lot of the teams because they were spending a ton of money developing it. But the one caveat was teams could continue to make modifications to the engines based on reliability. So if you have a component that continues to fail, you're allowed to modify, develop, replace that component under the grounds of reliability. But as Bryson Sullivan has been calling out on Twitter for years, it's a very murky area. Like what is what is reliability oh, sure, right? versus performance? Yeah. And if it is truly a reliability issue, what's to say that the component that goes in isn't a higher performance or a higher spec version of what's coming out? And I think the good news in the story here, at least from Renault's power unit chief, and I won't try to pronounce his name, but I think the good news here is he's saying that, look, last year, it was a very transparent process. All of the teams were operating very transparently, but there was dozens and dozens of examples of teams applying for reliability fixes and that that number should decrease significantly because all of the reliability issues that the teams encountered last year really should be tied up, fixed, addressed. There should be a bow on most of them. So we should see far less of these reliability fixes going forward into 23, 24, and then finally 25. So yeah, neat story, but this is exactly the type of purview that the FI is here to regulate. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, precisely what it's all about, right? Okay, so let's uh, go on to some uh, little funner things to, to to talk about here. So rumored power unit gains in horsepower. This comes from a gazetta.it. So Ferrari is supposedly up 30 horsepower in their power unit for this year. And that's compared to plus 16 horsepower for Mercedes. Red Bull and Honda, only 10 uh, horsepower more than before. And this also comes uh, along with the rumor this week that uh, the, 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 the new Ferrari, the Ferrari was the 675, the new uh, car for this year. So supposedly going to be, what, a second or a second and a half faster than their car was last year, which is awesome. But, you know, everybody else is now two seconds faster than they were last year. So I guess it's all it's all relative. Here we go. We're, we're slamming and throwing shade at Ferrari. The season hasn't even started yet. But, you know, if, if that is true, like they have made a gain of 30 horsepower in their power unit for this year compared to last year. Then obviously that uh, that other story that's kind of circulating around this week that uh, that their car is at least a second faster than it was last year. That makes total sense. But you know, we have to see that, you know, proven in reality. And, and and not only that, I mean, we saw at times how quick the Ferrari was last year, but then it was, they had so many different setbacks for so many different things, reliability issues, strategy issues, tactics, everything else, and then even mistakes made by the drivers. So, uh, often the uh, you know the advantage they had was 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 offset or you know 
just didn't work out the way they wanted. But uh, your thoughts yeah. on that, Mark? That That is an interesting story, really, nonetheless. All of this is highly, highly speculative at this point. We don't know anything. The teams aren't sharing or distributing their dino charts. They're not sharing their, their SIM data. But I think it's probably fair to assume that we should see a horsepower gain, increase out of the Ferrari because it's it's rumored and it's been reported that Ferrari were having some pretty significant reliability issues with their power unit last year. And the way that they managed them and negated any further reliability issues that would have resulted in DNFs was simply by turning down the engine. And when we talk about turning down the engine, we're talking about the map that that drives the amount of fuel flow and 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 oxygen that's being pumped into the combustion chamber and they turn down the amount of boost that's being prov- produced by the turbocharger because by turning down in essence the power unit you're you're increasing reliability because you're less likely to get to that destructive level so it's understood that ferrari last year were having reliability issues and they they mitigated further dnfs by turning down the power unit and the hope the thought the consideration is that hey a year later they should have addressed all of those reliability issues and they should be able to turn up that power unit again and i think going into 2022 we all assumed expected that ferrari was going to have the most powerful power unit on the grid and ultimately that didn't necessarily play out but it's understood that a big part of that was put aside the strategy and driver errors just that they were having so many reliability issues they had to turn down that power unit so we won't know for sure we certainly won't know at winter testing we probably won't really know in qualifying but we will absolutely get a real sense of where they are after the first race so i'm excited i love the fact that they've gone with the the 675 is the name because it's easy for me to remember this year but uh <laughs> but ultimately i'm, same, I'm super same. super super pumped yeah, very cool. Um, another story, I was just having some uh, issues uh, bringing this one up. Maybe you can uh, take over, but uh, apparently FIA, I mean, here we go again, uh, the FIA back in the news, but for the right uh, reasons. So they've um, outlined a plan for their race directors for, for 2023. Hammy, do you have that one? Or yeah, can I you do. you speak to that one a little yeah, bit? Yeah, and this is a good news story. And, and I think it's one of the things that the FIA is probably doing partially in reaction to the fallout from Abu Dhabi 2021, but also because it's just the right thing to do. And you and I have spoken so much about the challenges that the FIA have had in terms of identifying, nurturing race directors and the issues that they've had with identifying really talented stewards and having a common pool of stewards that they can rotate through as they go race to race throughout this increasingly long Formula One calendar. But Jonathan Noble here for autosport.com writes, and I quote, last year in the wake of controversy over the FIA's handling of the 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, Motor Racing's governing body elected a system whereby F1 race control was led by two individuals. Wittage and Eduardo Fritas shared the race director role for much of the season as the FIA took on board the lessons from what had gone on before. In the end, Wittage was assigned the role for the latter stages of the year, and it's understood this will continue for 2023. However, with the FIA keen to ensure that there's a strong succession plan in place for the long term, the governing body does not want to hand over full responsibility of the race director role to just one individual. So while Wittage will continue, the FIA is going to roll out a more intense training and development program to help nurture future race directors and stewards. This will be formally launched next month when the FIA holds its first high-performance program for officials in Geneva. There are eight stewards and 16 race directors from across the world signed up for the plan. As well as that two-day event from February 18th and 19th, trainees will be given a bespoke program of experience building through attendance at FIA events to shadow and observe 
senior officials. The FIA has also changed the format of its race director seminar international stewards program away from an annual event for 2023. It will become a series of webinars to ensure improved dialogue as events develop over the course of the year. And there's some comments here from FIA President Mohammed Ben Salam that I don't uh, think are necessarily relevant to the article. But ultimately, this is this is good news. And this is exactly the type of thing we want the FIA doing, which is developing and developing and nurturing talented individuals to become race directors and to become stewards. Because I think some of the challenging that we've had from an officiating perspective over the last few years is that that pool is very, very small. And some of the folks that have been taking on these roles probably weren't necessarily qualified to be doing them. Yeah, yeah. And it's good, too. After the controversy that we saw at the end of 2021, like you say, it's it's really good to see that there's a concentrated effort to, uh, you know, to, to expand that pool and expand the knowledge and the experience and, uh, you know, ultimately uh, qualified people that uh, that can do it now and into uh, the future. Uh, sticking with uh, this uh, the, on a similar uh, topic, uh, but the Formula One is looking to uh, implement active arrow to improve the race in 2026 and this comes from uh, luke smith over at autosport.com uh, and this is just a, a summary of uh, f1 chief technical officer pat simons who was uh, speaking at autosport international last week and um, so simons uh, addressed uh, the fact that drs is going to stay in the rules package but explained how the active aerodynamics could be used to augment downforce to make up for the amount of um, uh, downforce that is lost when a car is closely following the car in front anyways uh, pat had to say quote we won't lose drs because there's totally active aerodynamics on the 2026 car drs is drag reduction what i've always felt we should do is have downforce augmentation because what does the car behind do yes it loses some drag but what really holds it is the fact that it's lost its downforce our idea is to now augment the downforce back to where it should have been if the leading car wasn't there Everybody talks about overtaking, but for us, overtaking was the end of the battle. If the battle's, uh, it's the battle that's interesting. It's the unpredictable uh, unpredictability. How is he going to get past? And I know a lot of people criticize DRS, and that was the trouble with DRS. It can make a pass too easy. Conversely, when you don't have it, the MLA race, when the FIA were very reluctant to activate DRS because it was wet and greasy, the track, uh, you get some uh, dull races. It's a matter of getting it right. End quote. So there you go. I mean, I think we talked about it uh, several weeks ago, this whole idea of active uh, aerodynamics, but that's a, a very, very intriguing idea to, to augment the, the, the aero package on a car to uh, basically equalize or bring back the downforce to where it should have been had the car not been uh, following a car who's trying to overtake. I mean, if it increases the, the, the spectacle and makes it uh, more, like uh, like Simon says, uh, unpredictable and exciting, then maybe it's worth looking Daily, at I hate whether it. it works. I hate it. I hate it. You hate yeah, it? I hate it. Why? So Come there's on. a couple of things we learned with this from this article is over the past couple of okay. years, you and I have been very attentive to comments about the future of DRS. And I think we had both concluded yep, yep. based on comments that with time and in short order, DRS, which is itself, by the way, a form of active aerodynamics, that it was going to be phased sure, out yep. because ultimately the cars are going to be in such a place with the downforce that's being generated with the underbody uh, underbody designs that 
it's not going to be necessary. But this article states very clearly that DRS is in the future of the sport, is going nowhere. But furthermore, I don't like the idea that we continue to build active aerodynamics in an effort to benefit the car following the one in front of it. Like, can we not just get the cars and the designs of the cars to such a place that we don't have to have artificial mechanisms like DRS to to compensate for following? And I think the other thing that really worries me is there is discussion amongst FIA officials and amongst folks in the paddock that uh, aer- active aerodynamics could be applied to the car following a, a leader. So, hey, look, we're going to on the fly modify the surface of the car to make the car a little bit more slippery or to create a little bit more downforce to give them an advantage to help them compensate for the dirty air that's being washed over their car. But furthermore, the fear that I have is they could start applying active aerodynamics to the car that's in front to create more drag. So imagine if you're the car leading a race and all of a sudden the FIA activates drag on your car. So like the reverse of DRS, active drag in an effort to slow you down to make other cars um, to give other cars an opportunity to catch a race. Like all of this is just so artificial and unnecessary. I don't like DRS. I, I've learned to live with it because it's been in the sport since 2010, 2011 now. It is what it is. But something I like want to see yeah. the back of it. And I'm cool with active aerodynamics if it's something that every car has and it's something that the teams can activate. So look, there's a section of track where a heavy amount of downforce is necessary or useful. And it's something that I can activate in car. I love it. Having it as an artificial mechanism to slow down a car or to help a car that's following a leader. I don't like it, man. I really, really don't like it. And I don't think it's necessary. And I think it adds a lot of gimmick to the sport when the sport doesn't need it. So like taking your comments down and reading between the lines of uh, what what Pat Simons was saying, is he basically hinting at that the new aero package on these cars isn't working the way that they intended? Because like you said, this DRS like sort of you know, being brought over into 2022, like you say, it was supposed to be a temporary thing that would be phased out after X number of years or whatever. And then it sort of became like, we'll wait and see. But now it's like, yeah, it's like here to say. So it's almost like, like just hearing you, you know, like think this one out loud and kind of explain those comments kind of makes me wonder is is it sort of a way of admitting yeah well we did all this redesign on the on the on the regs and what uh, you know the the arrow should be capable of doing but rather than saying it's not working quite the way that they thought it's just like yeah it's still going to be around it still has a place oh it absolutely has a place in the sport but we're we're going to make it better <laughs> You know, that that's basically what it seems uh, to me. So I don't know if the, there's anything else you want to add to that or or no. Nope. Shake your head. So get the head shake. OK, well, it, it, you know, it wouldn't be a show if there wasn't a, a little bit of, um, you know, a, a little bit of. Well, I guess there was already controversy that we started off when we were talking about Ben Slam's cons, uh, you know, comments about the overvalue. Uh, overvaluation of uh, Formula One, uh, allegedly, supposedly. 
And there's a, an article here that's it's popped up in a number of places, but the one here that I'm looking at is from uh, Thomas Mayer uh, at uh, Planet F1. A very smug-looking Nick DeFries, or maybe the camera just kind of caught him in a bad moment. Anyways, he is being taken to court uh, by a Dutch uh, businessman, and uh, his name is uh, Jeroen Schotshorst, and he's taking the Formula E world champion to court for allegedly not repaying or you know they had an agreement to replay a loan that helped uh, De Frisa get into Formula 2. Now Schotshorst had, uh, has allegedly lent uh, Nick uh, a quarter million euro back in uh, 2018. So that'd be roughly what about 250,000 US dollars. They're, they're pretty close aren't they the, the euro and the dollar I believe. So so I mean a pretty significant amount of money and uh, uh, so the report uh, details an interest level of 3% per annum, with a Schotzhorst uh, also claiming 50% of Nick de Vries's income through Formula One-related activities. Uh, so there's an argument between the two parties. appears to be over the timing of uh, de Vries uh, being regarded as a Formula One driver, with the agreement not stipulating loan uh, repayments would be waived if he was not a driver, a Formula One driver in 2022. So I guess the like is a bit of a, a gray area. I guess if you're, uh, you know, this is where it is uh, because uh, De Vries has been uh, Mercedes reserve driver and made a you know a cameo, well not a cameo appearance. He stood in for uh, Alex Albon at uh, Williams uh, for the Italian Grand Prix at Monza after you know uh, Alex uh, got very very ill uh, beforehand. And uh, Schotzhorst uh, disputes and argues that the loan uh, uh, agreement remains active. So I guess uh, it'll be uh, kind of, uh, you know, sorted out in the courts. But uh, interesting. And and that kind of gives like a bit of a, a background that, uh, you know, the, the kind of money that it takes to fund a driver to get the, to these higher levels, the higher rungs of elite uh, motorsport, because Formula 2, even though it's not Formula 1, is still very, very expensive uh, to race in. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on this one after, uh, you know, see where it goes in the courts and uh, what happens there. Hammy, we're, we're getting to the end of this thing. Uh, you know, there's um, plenty of juicy things uh, to talk about. Was there anything else you wanted to to add? Was there any other stories I I, I breezed past uh, as we went through the, uh, the the list today? Yeah, just a couple of things to touch on before we sign off tonight. Uh, one of the stories which I find really interesting because it's something I've been watching very closely is that the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix is to stay at Jeddah until 2027 yes. as work at Qadiya, the new site, which is in central Saudi Arabia hour or two outside of the city of Riyadh continues. So the plan all along was that the uh, Saudi Arabian Grand Prix was to be hosted at a brand new custom built bespoke track at a large recreational um, amusement entertainment complex that's being carved out of the desert. Um, it was going to be a beautiful bespoke track. The track is under construction now. And I have some friends in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia who send me photos occasionally with updates. Um, but for me, it was always a shame because I absolutely adore the Cornish track, the Cornish circuit in Jeddah. And I think it's been one of the most fascinating tracks on the calendar. It is very dangerous, um, but I'm very, very happy to see that the race organizers have year over year continued to modify, widen, improve the sight mm -hmm. lines, improve the runoff area to continue to make it a safer track. But it's incredibly fast. It looks great under the lights. Um, and it's a track that I hope will find a way to stay on the calendar indefinitely. And while I don't think that there's a future where we maybe have two 
Grand Prix on the calendar in Saudi Arabia. I would love to see a world where Jeddah and Kedia ultimately alternate um, in even or uneven years. I think that would be really, really cool. But we get to keep Jeddah for at least a couple more years, which I think is a big win because I know it's won over a ton of fans in Formula One. And the only other kind of news item that I'll, I'll share is last year, I think we were all I don't know, because not everyone loved it. I don't think you were a big fan, but uh, Formula One, the broadcasters decided to start experimenting with a camera cam, that tiny little camera module that gives you a, a driver's view of the experience of driving a Formula One car. It sounds like there's an agreement in place that this camera eye, the driver's eye, quote unquote, an FIA approved micro camera with a diameter of eight millimeter that weighs just 1.43 grams. It sounds like it will be available to all drivers and all helmet manufacturers on the grid for 2023. So we could see a lot more footage and a lot more driver perspective this year, because again, last year we saw it with Charles Leclerc and a few other drivers, but it will be widely available across the grid, which is also cool because I always thought it was a really cool perspective to get. But yeah, I think for me, those are, I think the, the only other stories to touch on this week. Yeah, the helmet cam is an interesting one because, uh, like you so correctly and inconveniently for me, uh, you know, remembered that I wasn't very, you know, <laughs> positive about it. But you know, in in fairness, like when it was introduced, we had some night races off of the the, the beginning of the year. So I guess just the the darkness, uh, you know, that you get at a night race, even under those big, uh, you know, spotlights around like Bahrain and tracks like that. I have to admit, as the season went on, I think there were some improvements made because I felt that as the season went on, like I found it a little bit more interesting. It wasn't necessarily like the view I enjoyed the most, but it certainly gave an interesting perspective of what it's like to be in a cockpit of a Formula One car and just how much at times those drivers are being buffeted around because I think that uh, the like the the in-car camera that they have on the top of the airbox is, is is fascinating you get a great view over the top of the driver's helmet and they've had that on uh, other different places sometimes on the front uh, you know the, the the nose of the car down low some different uh, perspectives so I think it'd be kind of cool because the one thing I do really like about F1 TV Pro is the option that you have to either watch the main television feed, but then you can go up and down the grid and go to every driver's in-car camera. So you're basically getting the raw feed, what the drivers experience and or experiencing. You also get the comms over the uh, over the feed as well, so you don't get any commentary. But it'd be kind of cool if you could toggle between the in-car camera for Lewis Hamilton or his, uh, his helmet cam. So you know, it, it's just more of that. Uh, you know, if they get it all uh, 20 drivers, it's just uh, more more options for all the the, the nerdy people out there that uh, that enjoy data and, and stuff like that. So certainly is a is a play for it or a place for it. Pardon me. So that's it uh, for for now. Thank you uh, guys for checking in with us uh, this week. If you want to support the show. But by all means, uh, the best way to do that is hop on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. It helps uh, keep the, the show visible and uh, or share it with a friend is uh, another way to, to do so. And uh, we're, we're especially grateful for, for all the reviews uh, and ratings that we get. It uh, really means uh, the world to us to hear that you guys are enjoying what we do here each and every week. And especially when we hear about the jet-setting lifestyle of the Hamilton family going off to NBA games in their private jets and 
and the limo and stuff as Mark sits there and rolls his eyes as a, as a joke of a, <laughs> about that. But it's all uh, good fun. And of course, if uh, you want to get in touch, send us a tweet uh, at ScooterF1Pod or email at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. And that's it. That's a wrap. Enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy your weekend. And we'll be back here before you know it to do it all again. So bye for now. <laughs>